Well, this morning we are uh, celebrating uh, many things. One is just God's protection and provision through the storm. And, uh, and I know for some of you in the room, everybody in the room was affected to some extent. Some were uh, inconvenienced. Others, uh, your life has been turned upside down. And we just want you to know we are praying for you. And we uh, are not just praying in our words, with our words, but we're also turning those prayers into actions through our hands and our feet. One of the things at Southside that we believe in deeply, and if you're a guest, we know many of you are guests today, one of the things that that we believe very deeply is that the church is the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, and the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. And so we believe in planting churches. And so we have partnered with a church plant that is beginning, today is their launch Sunday in Orlando, Grace Alive Church, and also in Toronto, Canada today, a church is launching. Uh, Hamilton Fellowship is uh, opening a new campus there as well, all on the same day. And you have been a part of both of those churches getting started. Now you think, well, how is that related to what just happened? Well, according to USA Today, thus far, uh, after Harvey, Harvey and Irma, of the aid that has been offered to people affected by the storms, 80% has come from churches. 80%. Which what that means is the more we can do what God calls us to do before the storms come, the better prepared we will be when the storms come. That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 7 that Sherry read for us early, that the person who built their house on the rock, the storm still came, but they were able to stay rooted on that rock. We believe that the mission God has given us 365 days a year equips us and positions us to, to help in times of need like Hurricane Irma. And so we are, I am blown away and so grateful by the outpouring of generosity of this congregation, but there are others who are here from other organizations who are visiting or in our city to help. Thank you as well. It was a community effort, continues to be a community effort, and we are working hard uh, every day uh, to, to, to support uh, other agencies who are, who are helping uh, to bring relief and also to bring relief that we can ourselves. So many of you are volunteering and serving, and we can't thank you enough. Your gifts Uh, tangible ways of demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ in our community and around the world. And I just want you to know people are noticing that. Uh, People who uh, maybe have walked away from the church or who who are critical of the church or people who don't follow after Christ, uh, they're seeing the response of uh, churches like Southside and others and of Christians who are responding and, uh, and they're being invited to take a second look and we're excited to be a part of that. Um, we actually have a, a picture this morning I want to show you. We're able to get an incredible picture of Harvey and Irma together. <laughs> Go ahead, Harvey. This is Harvey and Irma together. Um, this, this, this is actually a picture of Harvey and Irma Schluter. Uh, they have been married for 75 years uh, this year. Harvey, Harvey is 104, and, uh, and Irma will be 93 in November. And they, uh, they, they live out on the, on the West Coast. And uh, so it's quite a coincidence that this couple, you know, married this long, have the names of these two storms 
that came in, it reminds me of the song that we sometimes sing, you know, Love Like a Hurricane. This is it right here. This is what we're talking about. Love Like a Hurricane. Listen to this quote from the New York Times, okay? This, this quote. Now, Harvey and Irma, uh, throughout the course of their marriage, their 75 years of marriage, they have taken in over 120 orphans and distra- distressed children into their home. Talk about loving like a hurricane, right? Amazing, amazing. But listen to this. I want you to listen to this quote uh, from the New York Times of all places. Listen to this quote from the New York Times about Harvey and Irma. When Harvey and Irma were born in the early 20th century, radio was a new invention and cable television was decades away. In a new century, after 75 years of marriage, they can only watch as their names flicker across the screen with reports of death, destruction, and evacuation. Really sad, Mrs. Schluter, Schluter said, as, uh, as said of the news reports. I have no idea what I'd do. I'd never been in that kind of situation, she said. I'd try and help some people. I don't know how. That's the philosophy you might expect from someone who has spent decades taking children into her home. You just do whatever you think would be best to do, she added. If you can help someone, then help them. Isn't that good? That's what we've seen over this past week. Uh, And not just here, but in the subsequent weeks in Texas as well. As Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, they've been powerful reminders to us of just how fragile we are. We, We assume because of our advances in technology and because of just our ability to, uh, to communicate more effectively that we're exempt from such things. But then a hurricane comes and a city loses power and internet and suddenly we find ourselves uh, pretty fragile and pretty helpless and in need of help. But these hurricanes have also been reminders of the power of love. Just think back to what our nation was talking about two or three weeks ago and what dominated the news, the vitriol and the hatred. Competing protesters battling with each other, and what you heard were stories of animosity and division. And then, of all things to bring people together, two hurricanes blow in. And suddenly you're seeing stories of heroic, courageous, selfless, sacrificial help, and love tends to rise to the surface. It's a powerful reminder to us of what really, really matters, and it's not our stuff. Stuff can be sentimental and valuable. Our homes probably the biggest financial investment some people will make, but those things are not what really what matters. When the storms come, people are what matter. And it's been an incredible opportunity for the church, not just this church, but every church, to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Now, several weeks ago, we started a series that we're calling Love Well. And we've had a little slogan and we've had yard signs that many of you took and passed out. And uh, it's, it, this, here's one. This is one that actually stayed up during the hurricane, right? This, like, yeah? This, this yard sign stayed in the yard during the hurricane. We started passing these out three or four weeks ago before anybody had ever heard of Harvey and Irma Schluter or the hurricanes. Uh, and they just said this, love everyone always. And, and I, if you remember, if you were here when we started the series, I, I said this is, this is really simple, but it's not easy. And now some of you know what I'm talking about. It's simple to say love everyone always, but it's not easy. It's hard work, and it takes sacrifice, and it takes commitment, and it takes dedication and determination. And so we, we have been passing these signs out. Some of our ministry partners have been passing these signs out, and they're just a simple reminder for us 
of the hard calling that Jesus has placed on us who are believers. We call this the great commandment. And we've been challenging those folks in our church to memorize this. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. You're on the honor system. Uh, We're going to put it on the screen so everybody can say it together. But for those of you memorizing it, you're on the honor system. Let's try to do it without looking at the screens if we can. Okay, here's what Jesus said when he's asked, hey, Jesus, just tell us what matters most. Just boil it down for us. You know, all those books of the Old Testament, there's so many laws. It's just overwhelming. Can you give us the Spark Notes version? And here's what Jesus said. Let's say it together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. Now, if you're a guest and you're just here, just know we didn't just start, we didn't decide to talk about this today because of the hurricane. We've been talking about this for weeks. I did not change this message today. This is what God had preordained for us. I think he knew when we couldn't know that the storm was coming. How important it is basically to take this commandment that Jesus said, we've simplified it down as a lot of people have, to say, love God and love people. Love God and love people. If you can do that, if you can love God and love people, you can follow everything that God's commanded for us to do. Those are the two things. Simple but not easy. And we've uh, developed a little diagram that, that may be helpful to some, for some of you visual folks. And if you're a note taker, there's a place for you to do it on the back of your Bible. We basically said if this circle represents you, this is yourself. The kind of love that God is, that Jesus is commanding us to have, we we learned several weeks ago, we just can't have it. We can't be that selfless. Uh, We don't have it within us to love like that. And so what, what God has done is he has given us himself in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. That he said, you can't love like this, but you can love because I first loved you. And, and we know love because God demonstrated love by sending his son to die for our sins. And so because of that love, that becomes an unending fountain of love inside of us. And then he said, so we love God because he loved us, but then we're called to love other people. And this is where it gets hard. Then we're called to love others. And week after week, we've been taking these others apart. And first we started, several weeks ago, we started by saying the person closest to us, if you're married, how do you love your spouse well? And then a couple weeks, the week, uh, last week, when we weren't able to meet, but if you didn't see it, we, did, we were able to post it on live stream, the sermon about how do you love your family well. And if you didn't watch that, some of you need to watch that. Because I've talked to you. Watch that. All right. Then the next one, the next one, the one that we want to talk about today is this. How do we love the church well? How do we love the church well? And, and I think this is really important for us to talk about today because uh, as we have seen as as a living demonstration in the last few weeks, um, the church has a vital role to play in our community, not just about our personal spiritual development, but in being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today. And here's what we've learned about this circle or what we are learning. The more intimate the relationship, uh, the the the, the, it tests the depth and the integrity of our love. In other words, I can't really hide very well from Sherry. My relationship with her and my love relationship with her tests the depth and the integrity of of my true love. Because I can come to church and put on a good game face, right? I mean, come on, we all do that from time to time. We, We come to church and we know how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to do, and we do it, we put it on here. But the person, the more intimate the person is with you, there's less places to hide. And so so the more intimate relationships test really the depth 
and the integrity of our love. But the more distant the relationship is from us, it tests how selfless our love is. And and remember, several weeks ago, we talked about different kinds of love. Eros, which is that sort of romantic love. And storge, which is that sort of love for family. Phileo, which is love for our community. But ultimately, what God is calling us to do is agape, which is you love everyone always, no matter what. Whether they're worthy of it or not. No matter if they deserve it or not. No matter if you know them or not. And when we get to the church... What we find in an example of the church is the opportunity to live out a verse that is so famous, we all know it by heart. When John 3.16, when God said, for God so what? Who? Love the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The church becomes a laboratory for us where we practice that kind of love. A love to a stranger. A love to somebody who doesn't look like us. A love to somebody who may even, hold on to it, annoy you. I mean, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I know people who hop from church to church to church because they're annoyed with somebody. You know what they're missing out on? They're missing out on an opportunity to learn how to love well. Because it may just be that God put that person in your life. I call them EGRs, extra grace required. I heard another, per, another person refer to them as heavenly sandpaper. God's just, God's just using them to refine you over and over again. He's just using them to rub off the rough edges. And the church becomes a laboratory where we learn how to practice love. Now, most everybody in the room, whether you come to church much or not, you may not even be a, call yourself a Christian, but my guess is you've heard of John 3.16. You're familiar with it. But not enough people know what 1 John 3.16 says. And here's what 1 John 3.16 says. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. You see, there's a connection, a really important connection between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. I'm I'm glad so many of us know John 3.16. Know that. More of us need to learn 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. He sacrificed everything willingly, selflessly on the cross for us. And because of that, we also ought to lay down our life for our brothers. We know love not by what Jesus said. We don't know love because, I mean, John could have said, well, we know love because Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and he gave us the Beatitudes. We know love because Jesus healed people. We know love because, uh, because, Jesus, uh, because Jesus turned water into wine. And, and we, we, you, all kinds of ways in which John could have said we know love, but that's not what he said. John said we know love not by what Jesus said, but by what Jesus did, that he laid down his life for us. But he says, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Now, who are the brothers? Some of your translations may say brothers and sisters. Some of your translations may say fellow believers. That's really what he's talking about. For those people who are in the community of faith, the fellowship, the family of faith, that's what he's talking about. These Christians in the early days, they didn't have much. Many of them were isolated from their family. If they came to faith in Christ, they were kicked out of their family. Listen, that's still a reality in parts of our world today. I've been in countries, and many of you have been in those countries with me on short-term mission trips, where we've met believers who have literally walked, had to walk away from their family because their family said, if you believe in Jesus, then you can no longer be a part of this family. And so what they had to do as a, as a, as a, 
as a group of Christians is they had to come together and they had to become family for each other. And so what John is saying is just as Jesus laid down his life for us, so we should lay down our life for each other. And, and Paul picked up on this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He said, now you are the body of Christ and every member is a part of it. He said in verse 27, I'm sorry, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Can I just tell you right now, listen, if you're not a Christian, you're off the hook on this, but Christians, listen up, all right? Christians, listen in. There are members of your body that are suffering. And what John has said, what Paul is saying is because they are suffering, you should be suffering too. Listen, I, when I got power back, I was, man, I was so glad to have power back. And not only did I get power back, I got internet back. Whoo, praise the Lord. Thank you, JEA. But here's the question. Why? Why did I get power back and why are there people still homeless? Is it possible that God just gave me power back in order to resource me so I could leverage what he gave me to help another brother or sister who doesn't have those things yet? Come on. You've got to start asking yourself, why did God bless you? Why did God spare your house? It could have been you. There could have been a tree through your house. Your house could have been flooded. And so rather than just saying, whoo, I dodged that bullet, maybe instead what Christians ought to say is, okay, God spared me. Now here's the question, why? Maybe he spared you to love somebody else, to love them well. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. And then he goes on and and John, uh, in another passage, quoted what Jesus said to the disciples. Listen to this. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples as he's about to leave. Guys, I'm going to be gone. You, this is the church. This is all the church that exists, these few guys together. And, and if you've read the Gospels, you know, you know they're not the brightest bulbs in the chandelier. And here they are, right? I mean, the, just these few guys together. Like Peter's going to deny Jesus. Judas is going to completely betray him. Everybody's going to run and hide. I mean, they, they, and Jesus is getting ready to leave. And he says, okay, okay all, I know what, all I know left to tell you guys is this. Just love each other. The way I've loved you, you're called to love each other. And he didn't just tell them or suggest it, he commanded it. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You can't command an emotion. I can't walk up to you and say, hey, you should, be, you should love him. Or you should be angry with him. Or you should be jealous of him. Or I can't command an emotion. But here's what you can command. You can command an action. Which tells me something. That Jesus didn't view love simply as an emotion that was to be felt. He understood love as action that was to be taken. And so when Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you, he turned around and demonstrated it by walking out of that room into the garden where he would be arrested. Where he would be falsely accused, tried, beaten, and where he would eventually hang on a cross and die. Do for others what I have done for you. Love the way I have loved. See, it's a mistake to believe that you must feel love in order to give it. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions and one of the things I hope when we finish this series that we as a church walk away and understand. You don't have to feel love to give it. Listen, husbands and wives, 
I know we've already talked about you a few weeks ago, but let me just come back to you again. You don't have to feel love for your wife to love her. Love is a choice of the will. It is a decision that you make each and every day. And on the days that you wake up and you feel it, that's great. But on the days that you wake up and you don't feel it, you made a commitment to love. And that commitment, that command, is not something that has to be driven by emotions. It's something that you live out. When actions are driven entirely out of what we feel, we're likely only acting out of selfish desires anyway. Think about that. Think about this. If you only act loving when you feel loving, ultimately you're being entirely selfish. Because you're acting in such a way so that you can get the good feeling that you want. But when instead you decide, you know what? I have made a commitment to love selflessly, sacrificially, no matter how I feel. You do it regardless, and then it suddenly becomes a selfless act, a selfless act of service for other people. Listen to what, uh, listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said it so well. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we, as soon as we did do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him, good in, if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself liking him, liking him less, disliking him less. So, so Lewis is basically saying you act your way into feeling that way. Now here's an experiment, practical. This week... I want you to find somebody in your life who's an EGR. Remember, extra grace required. Heavenly sandpaper. You don't, please don't point them out if they're sitting around you. <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. Do an experiment. I want, you to, I want you to take loving actions towards them all week long and see if at the end of the week you don't begin to feel differently about them. Because I think you will. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, takes it a step further. He says this, If you do not give up but proceed to love the unlovely in a sustained way, they will eventually become lovely to you. That's a beautiful, beautiful statement. And I think it's true. It's how some of our people who work um, with some of the hardest cases in our community, it's how they do it day in and day out. Because they begin to see how lovely people really are. Because at everyone's essence, they're created in the image of God. And when you can get past their current condition and see the image of God in them, it becomes much easier to love them the way God has loved us. Listen to how John ends this passage, uh, verse 17, 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Back here. What's he saying? He's saying, look, if you can't love here and here and here and here, the problem is you don't love here. That's what he's saying. If you've got the possessions and you see a brother in need and you don't respond, it's a love problem. It's not just that you're not loving people. See, some people say, well, I do the love God part. I just have trouble with the love people part. Uh. -uh. If you have trouble with the love people part, you have trouble with the love God part. You, have to, you can't do one without the other. 
And then in verse 18, he says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is usually the part of the message where I try to give some practical application for the passage that we're considering. But this past week has been a living, working application of everything I've just said. I I don't have to come up with stories because they're all around you. Listen, if you're a member of Southside Baptist Church, you need to know that your church has been open 24 hours a day, seven days a week since last Sunday when the storm was coming. There has been staff sleeping in this building, working in this building around the clock. The buildings have been open. Countless of you have volunteered, have come in. If you were able, some of you were suffering flood damage of your own, problems of your own, and yet you came up here to help somebody else who was in need. You understand 1 John 3, 16. You have lived it out and been a living, breathing demonstration of it. We have been here from the very first person that was taken off of a raft down San Marco Boulevard. A refugee couple moved here two months ago from Russia, downstairs apartment on San Marco Boulevard. They, the fire and rescue brought them straight up San Marco Place. The first place they came was right here. They stayed right here in our building until they were able to secure housing and find another place to be. It's not just been an effort on our own. Red Cross, City Emergency Management, JSO, City Council members, there have been lots of people who've come into Southside and the doors have been open for them to use this as a center of operations. Members who, have displa- who, ha- who were displaced had multiple options for housings, housing within hours. We knew of church members, didn't have any place to go, and I had more opportunities than I knew how to hand them all, how to deal with all that. I mean, we were trying to process all of it. There were so many people responding, how can I help, what can I do? A network of phone calls and contacts took place before the winds had even gone below tropical force winds. Everybody was calling, people in groups, calling their groups, checking on each other, going, cleaning up yards. There were people in our, in our church, men who are always happy to crank up a chainsaw, who were out wandering around the community, cutting down trees, clearing debris, members who opened their home to others and welcomed them in and shared their food. When we developed the Love Well series, and when we came up with this statement, love everyone, love everyone always, it was a response, like I said before, to what was going on in the news. But actually something different has happened. Something profound, something only God can do. He has given us an opportunity to live that out in a very tangible and a real way. And it's just as Jesus said when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Not us, not us, but God. That people would see the tangible evidence of the love of Jesus Christ through the actions of his church. Harvey and Irma. Harvey and Irma are a reminder that we, the church, are called to love like a hurricane and not to wait for a hurricane to love like one. Because the needs, while they're obvious right now, they always exist. There is always someone that we can love, and that's what God has given the church to do. When you love your church well, 
you are not just loving the people in your church, but you're loving the people around your church. It's why, it's why we will not rest until we know that there is a healthy, vibrant church in every community so that every community can have a church like Southside that when the storm comes, and it will, there's a place for people to seek shelter from the storms. Our city has seen the love of Jesus Christ in you, Southside. I couldn't be prouder to be the pastor of any other church because of the response that you guys have shown the last few days. And I just want to challenge you because the, the, the disaster is not over. Just because you have internet and electricity and your yard is cleared, somebody else still needs your help. Let's continue to love like a hurricane. Jesus, at the end of that commandment he gave his disciples, said this, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Because you know so much. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. Because you've got great, such great facilities. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. Because you're so righteous. No. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. Because of your love for one another. Love everyone, always. I'm going to invite you to pray. And today we're going to conclude our service with an invitation for you to take communion. Uh, because this is a tangible reminder of the love of Jesus Christ for you. Um, if you're not a member of this church, you're welcome to participate. Our communion is open to any, uh, any baptized believer. You're all welcome. Doesn't matter denomination, what church, even if you don't go to church. If, if you're a believer in Jesus, we, we want to invite you to come. And the way that we're going to serve communion is we're going to have ushers go aisle by aisle. They'll be to your right, and they'll release your row, and you'll come forward, and there will be someone to serve you, and they'll give you a piece of bread, and you'll take that bread, and you'll dip it in the juice, and then you can eat it and go back to your seat. Um, if you don't want to participate, you don't have to participate. If you're not physically able to come down, the ushers at the end will help you. But I want you to understand why we do this. Because God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The bread is just a representation of the body of Christ broken for us. The blood is a representation of the blood of Christ poured out for us. And so we invite you to come. Maybe today, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe today uh, you just need somebody to pray for you. I invite you to also come forward. I'll be here. Others will be here to pray for you. But this is a time to respond um, to the Lord's invitation to be loved, be loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us demonstrated through Jesus. Thank you for the church. Lord, a place not only where we can be loved well, but where we can learn how to love well. And Father, thank you for giving us some practice this week. Lord, for stretching us and, and exercising our love muscles, maybe to the point of exhaustion, but Father, that's how we build strength. That's how we build muscles is by exercising them. So thank you, Lord, for that incredible opportunity that you've given us to love like a hurricane. Father, may we not wait for the next natural disaster to love that way, but may we continue to practice that kind of love. And in so doing, Lord, may we only be more filled with your love. Father, we pray that as we take this communion, Lord, that we would be reminded in a very real and tangible way of your love for us as demonstrated through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.